I want you to imagine, as we kick off this Christmas series, that America is at war. And for, so, for some of you, that might not be hard to imagine. Uh, some of uh, our men and women here at RCC have, have fought in war, have served in the military. And for that, we're deeply uh, thankful, uh, for sure. But, but I want you to imagine to, to experience what it might be like for us to be at war. And maybe that war actually comes on our soil. Now, this might be a stretch if you've never fought in war or had to deal with the realization that the enemy is a lot closer than you'd like it to be. And now imagine that war ending and that war sort of being over. Um, you know, I think 2020 is a, is a lot like that. We don't really know. There's a lot of uncertainty with a pandemic. When's this vaccine going to come out? Is it going to work? Uh, is there going to be some sort of normalcy? And yet it seems like we're on the horizon. It seems like there's light at the end of the tunnel. There's, there's some photos uh, behind me on the screen if you're watching uh, home uh, or online. These are photos of when World War II ended and just the sheer excitement that war is finally over. Life magazine uh, quoted this, Americans celebrated as if joy had been rationed and saved up for three years, eight months, seven days since Sunday, December 7th, uh, 1941. Now, why do I bring all of this up? Well, honestly, to set up the sermon series. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of uncertainty uh, about 2020, and there's a lot of unrest, social, political, medical, sociological, relational unrest. And so what we're going to do is over the next two to three weeks, we're going to enter in our Christmas series called Christmas BC. And for the sake of this series, BC stands for before Christmas. And we're going to look at prophets that prophesied when the Messiah was actually going to come. There's a phrase the Bible uses called the time of the kings. And today we're going to look at a, a, a section of the book of Micah, and I think we have a fun, creative way uh, to help explain sort of a broad view of the book of Micah. Check out this video. before Christmas, around 930 BC, Israel split into two kingdoms, led mostly by bad kings. So God sent the prophets to speak words that were true, but nobody listened, and the kingdoms fell through. On Assyrians, on Babylonians, the prophet Micah could see that the world was a mess and the people weren't free. He said to the kings and the people alike that you must follow God and do what is right. Micah saw that the war would not soon cease, but even with all that, he gave him a promise of peace. Every week we're going to show you a little video of a child explaining uh, a, a, a book of the prophets. I think the prophets, if we're being honest, is probably not a book or books that we read at night. They're kind of scary. They're kind of vengeful, but they're still books and, and still the word of, of, of God. So Micah lived in the southern kingdom around 700 BC, and he saw uh, the northern kingdom fall and knew the southern kingdom was right around the corner. The demise uh, was right around the corner and that his people were in imminent 
danger. And so God uses Micah to pen these words as a promise to the Israelite community. In Micah 5, 1, 2, Micah writes, Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small, pay attention to this church, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler of Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. The world was a mess in Micah's day. Maybe you would uh, express that today in your day. There's a war that was raging, and yet God had said, I'm going to raise somebody up from a no-name town, uh, a very small part of the Israelite community, and through that person, he will actually bring peace not just to the community, not, not just to the Israelites, as we have talked about the covenants, the five covenants in the Bible, but through Jesus, the entire world. Now, when the, when the Bible or the writers of the Bible use the word peace, they're talking about shalom. And peace is just not necessarily feel, feeling calm, watching your favorite Christmas movie. Shalom, or the shalom of God, is this active partnering with God uh, to resolve what's happening in the world. Matt, uh, Matt Woodley wrote a book called A Look at Advent Through the Old Testament, and this is what he writes. In the Bible, God's peace, shalom, meant much more than simply the absence of war. Shalom meant not only inner peace or spiritual peace, it meant wholeness and completeness throughout all of creation. It meant the end of injustice. It meant the rich would no longer devour the poor. Still waiting for that sometimes. It meant all brokenness would be set right and healed. It meant that people would love one another. For the Jews, the hope of shalom was wrapped in a person. Someone is coming, they believed, who will open the door of peace. Micah 5, verses 1 and 2, is about Jesus. Now, you might think, well, who cares? You do. Here's why. Uh, if you're wondering if you can trust the Bible, um, one, of the reason, one of the reasons why I'm, I'm a Christian and still a Jesus follower is the historical reliability of Scripture. Um, it's one thing to promise something and to pretend you're a prophet. It's another thing for it to actually come true, right? So 700 years or so before Jesus is actually born. God gave the Israelite people a promise. Now, if, you're, <laughs> if you've been divinely wired to be a person that says, prove it to me, you kind of got the short end of the stick because there's an entire generation, right, that's going to pass away before the Messiah actually arrives. And in Luke chapter 2, we see the fulfillment of Micah chapter 5. Luke chapter 2, Luke writes, Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, 
uh, which is called, what is the town called? Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, he, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for him in the inn. Micah spoke 700 years prior to that Savior being born in Bethlehem. The peace bringer has finally come. Peace is no longer an um, idea. It's no longer an abstract feeling or emotion that a poet would write about or a singer would sing about or a painter would paint about. Peace was in the form of flesh and bones. And peace was wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger and peace is vulnerable in the hands of humanity that Mary and Joseph could do whatever they wanted with this child. And, and Jesus in that moment was really left to whatever they decided to do. Peace in the Bible is not an idea. It's not an abstract way of thinking. It's not a Hallmark car that's supposed to make you feel warm and fuzzy. Peace is a person and his name is Jesus. And so to be peaceable people or to be part of the kingdom of God and to be part of people that um, embody peace does not mean you cognitively know what the word peace means, right? It means that you have a relationship with peace, that you yourself are becoming a peaceable person and the folks that uh, are around you, your family, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, whoever you hang out with on the weekend, they see that and it is shared with them as well. Let, let me give you some practical uh, ways to think about peace, sort of some uh, directional language, and I'll share some scriptures with you as well. The first peace that we can have is positional peace, or this idea of up, and this is the most important aspect of peace. In Romans 5, 1 and 2, Paul says, since we have been acquitted and made right through faith, we are able to experience true and lasting peace with God through our Lord Jesus, the anointed one, the liberating king, Jesus leads us into a place of radical grace wherever, where we are able to celebrate the hope of experiencing God's glory. I, I say this every Christmas. It's kind of a bummer, but wait, there, there, it, it ends well. That Christmas is our fault. I know, right? Christmas is our fault. Had Adam and Eve <laughs> just stayed faithful, right, and not had any kids, <laughs> um, had Israel not ran after lovers less wild than Yahweh, had Israel not wanted a king like <clears throat> all the other enemies in the Old Testament, we wouldn't need Christmas, right? Like, had we not sinned? Had we not experienced some horrible things in our lives, we, we would not have needed Christmas. The reason why we celebrate Christmas, in part according to what Paul's getting at in Romans 5, is because we desperately need the gospel. 
right? We need God through Jesus to be made available to us. Had we been faithful, (laughs) we would not have needed Christmas. Sorry, students, and no Christmas break, right? But God, through his covenant word, his language, his commitment to us, his Hesed love, he has remained faithful to us. And though Christmas is our fault, Jesus made it about his redemption. And so when you're thinking about a helpless baby in a manger being held by a 13 to 16-year-old female um, with Joseph near her, right, you're looking at the love of God. You're looking at not only the punishment of your sins, but you're also looking, as Paul says, a way out, that we've been acquitted, that theologians would say we would be found guilty of our sin, but the punishment of our sin, which would, which would be a life sentence apart from our Heavenly Father, has already been served on our behalf through the cross, because of Jesus, and through the resurrection. L- let me tell you something. I'll just be honest with you. You will never be at peace if you only try to reconcile the relationships in your life. You will never be at peace if you just try to be a nice, good, moral, peaceable person. The annoying and yet beautiful and necessary thing is that Christmas drives us to the core of who we are. We're sinful, we're wicked, we're broken, but our identity is that we are the beloved sons and daughters of God. And so Christmas is an opportunity to reflect, like, wow, I, I, I wish I didn't need this baby. But you do, you do. And so whether you're here or watching online for the first time, I would just ask, maybe for the first time ever in your life, I don't know, I don't know your story, but for this Christmas, maybe consider uh, a little bit deeper that Jesus made himself available to you. Not that you could sing familiar Christmas songs or feel warm and fuzzy on the inside, but that someone could die for your sins and you could have peace with your heavenly father. The second position is in, or we could say internal peace. In John 14, 27, John writes this, or Jesus is talking. Uh, it's a different translation. My peace is the legacy I leave you. I don't give you gifts like those of this world. Do not let your hearts be troubled or fearful. Whoa. <laughs> how, how many of us listen to Jesus in that verse in 2020? Not me, not me. Jesus says, don't let your hearts be fearful or troubled. You know one job that Jesus would never have if he lived here in America in 2020? He would never work at Hallmark. Terrible card writer. Because Jesus never says to follow your heart. Right? I know, I know, I know. You've said it to people. You've heard it yourself. I've said it to people. You've heard it yourself. I know 
all of us have an 80s guilt trip song that we sing at the top of our lungs at a red light that has something to do about listen to your heart. You're welcome. You will not get that song out of your head. Jesus never says, I won't either as I'm preaching, Jesus never says to follow your heart. What terrible, wicked, humanistic advice. You know what Jesus does say over the narrative of John 14, 17, as he's praying for his disciples, he's getting ready to get crucified. Jesus never says, follow your heart, friends. He does say, I will give you my spirit who will do what? Lead you into, right, all truth. Wait a minute. I don't need God for truth, right? I can figure, I can figure this life out on my own. I mean, I'm going to... I'm going to fumble forward, but, 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 but I have, no, Jesus never says to follow your heart. Scripture repeatedly over and over tells us that our hearts are wicked. Given the opportunity, we act like middle school boys and middle school girls, and we live for the desires of our own hearts. We want what we want when we want, but Jesus says, I will give you my spirit, my paraclete, para means perimeter. He will walk alongside you. He will come around you and paraclete, getting into legal lawyer language, he will also represent and defend you. Um, this world is so broken that the trauma that we've experienced, whether somebody has done something violently to us or we've done something to other people or to ourselves or just divorce and death and, and a pandemic. There are things, my friends, that happen to us at such a deep level that we will never swim to. We will never unpack if we do not allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us in what? Truth. Facts? No. Truth is a person. He will lead us to Jesus, the truth of life, the truth of who you are, the truth of why you are the way that you are, the decisions that you've made, and the reason why you exist right now, this December Sunday morning. He will lead you through that. He won't forsake you. Let me tell you something. I've been on a really difficult inward journey over the last eight years. You don't need me to tell you this, but Jesus is telling the truth, right? I'm not saying Christians are better than non-Christians. I'm just saying that if Christians follow Jesus and they follow the Holy Spirit and have a relationship, which you can do, with the Holy Spirit, you will have that inward peace. And he, the Holy Spirit, will lead you and guide you into truth. There is, there is truth about you that is so deep that you would not know what door to open to open to walk through apart from having a relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's man, that is all like the journey inward, spiritual formation sorts of things. The second um, way that we can step into peace is a cross, which is to say communal peace. Now we now we're talking about relationships here. Uh, I love uh, Colossians three fifteen when Paul says, "Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts." Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Paul's talking about the church. Paul's talking about how to have relationships with other Christians. 
But Ben, I, I thought you said if the Holy Spirit is inside of them, they'll be peaceful and nice. <laughs> In church? No, we're still wicked and broken. Are you kidding me? Right? Satan didn't show up in Adam and Eve's life until, you know, marriage. <laughs> to be in community is also to be in conflict, and conflict isn't bad. Conflict is healthy, which is why Paul says, <clears throat> let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Here's the visual I want you to get when you read and you hear the word rule. <clears throat> when you see the word rule, think about an umpire and... Um, <laughs> how they're always right, right? Weathermen and umpires, they're always right, right. Nothing's nothing until they call it, right? Think about an umpire, and he calls balls and strikes the way he sees it. And so when you think about conflict in the church or with other Christian brothers and sisters, you need to think about when your relationship is getting to the point where all heck's breaking loose, allow the peace of Christ to call the balls and strikes. Allow the peace of Christ to go, okay, time out. Is this issue really about this issue? Or is it about something deeper? There's that Holy Spirit stuff I'm talking about, you guys. Right? Is this conversation really worth winning if I'm losing the relationship over the next seven years? And to be quite honest with you and to be frank with you, sometimes it's really difficult to do that. Sometimes it's really nice to have a sense that we get our own way. There's this awesome YouTube video <laughs> where the umpire called balls and strikes and the coach uh, did not like it. And I think this is a good visualization, at least internally, sometimes of our conflict. So check out this video.
I love the uh, I love the music they chose as he was having his meltdown. Yeah, it, it's it, it's funny, sure, it's hilarious. I as a Reds fan, I miss Lou Pinella doing that. But there's a real sense too that it's it's not funny, is it? And internally, you've acted like that. I've acted like that. We've all acted like that. And now there's iPhones and the internet and things live online. As you scroll through your Instagram and your TikTok and your Facebook and you see people, especially this year, over masks, over the pandemic, over social issues, just have complete meltdowns. Um, I don't know if you guys follow Google on Instagram or Facebook, um, but they shared in their stories on Instagram, in their feed on Facebook, a video of what people Googled uh, this year. And the number one thing that people Googled, at least a variation of this word in different sentences, is why? Why? Why is this happening to me? Why are my friends and family dying of this horrible disease? Why is my business shutting down? Why, why, why? And I, um, it, 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 you're going to need tissues. It's about two and a half minutes long if you watch it. Um, I, I get a sense that this world feels upside down. Heck, Christians feel upside down in this world. And I can't help but wonder that at least in 2020... The thing that we can be is shalom, the peace of God, working in partnership with the Trinity to restoring things back to the way they were in the garden before that fateful day when Adam and Eve chose autonomy over community and life with our Heavenly Father. Uh, Henry Nouwen, Christian author, pastor, wrote these words about the peace of God, and I'll end with these. The marvelous vision of the peaceable kingdom in which all violence has been overcome and all men and women and children live in loving unity with nature calls for its realization in our everyday, day-to-day lives. This is not a religion thing, a church thing, or a Sunday thing, but to be the peace of God in every day of our lives. He goes on to write, instead of being an escapist dream, wow, How many of us would say (laughs) we've been dreamers this year, hoping and praying that this pandemic gets over so we can go to whatever we think normal is? He continues to write, it challenges us to anticipate what it promises. Every time we forgive our neighbor, every time we make a child smile, every time we show compassion to a suffering person, every time we arrange a bouquet of flowers, offer care to animals, prevent pollution, create beauty in our homes and gardens, and work for peace and justice among peoples and nations, we are making the vision come true. What a beautiful way to describe citizens, us, Christians, of the kingdom of God, to be a peaceable people, to introduce, to rush in, to sprinkle over the shalom of God in every conversation, every interaction that we have with people. I mean, this, this, is, this is who we are, the peace of God in partnership with the Trinity to spread the hope of Christ this Christmas. In just a moment, friends, we're going to take communion together. 
Uh, if you're watching at home and have your emblems, you can grab those. Um, or just head in the kitchen and grab whatever you can find. Uh, Christmas cookies that your parents made, you're not allowed to have. You can t- I'm going to give you permission. You can grab those at home in your kitchen. And let's, let's take a moment as we close out this sermon and think of, really want to challenge you to really think about one question or one idea. Um, and, and it's this. Um, in light of a very violent, bloody form of capital punishment under the Roman rule, because Jesus went to the cross and experienced such a horrifically violent death, we can have peace. And so here's the question as you eat and drink and reflect for a moment. Where would you say that you're not allowing peace to call the balls and strikes in your life? Where, where, are, you, where are you finding that you, like you'd rather just take a taser and just get one more word in, just, just to be right one more time? Jesus doesn't call us to be right. He doesn't call us to be wrong. He calls us to be peaceful. And through the shed blood of the cross, such a violent, horrific death, we can be the people of God. A representation of shalom, that God is at work putting all things back together again. So let's eat and drink, and I'll close in prayer. Jesus, thank you so much for the faithfulness of your prophets. I can't imagine... It's hard enough being a pastor in 2020. I can't imagine being a prophet and telling an entire nation, hold on, peace is coming, but you're never going to see him in your lifetime. It's going to be like 700 years. And I thank you for the faithfulness of your prophets. I thank you for the faithfulness of your people. I thank you for the faithfulness of your church here in Salem, more importantly, around the world, that men and women and families are gathering together. Reflecting on your teachings, singing songs that are true about you and true about us, and trying to marry both of those ideas together. God, it's really hard to be peaceful. It's really hard to be peaceful. It's really hard to keep our mouths shut sometimes or our thumbs off of social media. It's, it's really, really, really hard. And so I just want to beg you. I want to beg you, Jesus, to send your spirit in our midst that we would be people open to be led by your spirit. Jesus, you already know the trouble we've gotten into by following our own hearts and our own uh, inhibitions and emotions. For some of us, we've broken off relationships. We're in over our head with debt. Friends have become enemies. Oh God, would you teach us Would you teach us to be the shalom of God? Would you teach us to be co-workers of your shalom here on earth? 
in the millions of people around the world that Googled the word why during a global pandemic. May we not have to wonder or wrestle what that answer is if somebody asks us. May we be that answer. May we be the the peace of God, a representation of who you are and what you're doing in the midst of our lives. As hard as this year is, Jesus, I, I, I just have this sense that <clears throat> many people are, have been brought to their knees and, and <clears throat> maybe for the first time ever in the history of the world, at least since social media technology, that people may now more than ever might be open to listening to you. Because Google's already tell, told us, like, the world is curious. Oh, God, give us your spirit that we might be curious enough to build relationships with those people as well. Thank you for your cross and your resurrection and the story of the gospel that you have come for us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.